0: Well, you may have read or heard that Jock Laurie is the new chairman of Australian Wool Innovation. He's been on the board since 2015 and has replaced Colette Garnsey, who's served on the board for 10 years and the last three as chairman. Colette will remain on the board as the director until this year's annual general meeting to ensure an orderly handover. But in this edition of The Yarn, we hear from the new chairman and cover all the big subjects affecting wool right at the moment. Welcome to The Yarn, the number one wool industry podcast. I'm Marius Cumming. So Jock Laurie is no stranger to many Australian farmers given his previous roles as past president of the National Farmers Federation and the New South Wales Farmers Association. He is though first and foremost a farmer and spoke with AWI's Kevin Wild. Uh, I
1: suppose the main thing people need to know is that I'm I'm just a uh, farmer and grazier from Walker, Always have been. It's been uh, been my career. Uh, certainly the last 15 years I've fallen into some agri-politics which has been, uh, been very interesting and I think it's also very important that people get involved in that part of their business to make sure that policy settings are right for them to be able to uh, perform their agricultural uh, enterprises. So Look, I'm just an ordinary person, the same as everybody else. There's nothing different at all. And, uh, but I've been fortunate enough to have some pretty major experiences over the last 15 years that um, you know, I've really enjoyed at the same time.
2: Well, that's modest head of the NFF and also New South Wales Farmers Association. So uh, you've got three properties, but wool isn't the only thing that you do. So why do you do wool, given that in your, your part of the, the country, um, people do a lot of different things?
1: Well, we've always, uh, the country at Walk has always been wool growing all of my life. We've had, um, uh, been in the wool growing industry up there and some country we had at Bendamere. So th- this is just our business. You know, I've been 45 years, I've been in it and my father before that, so, uh, and grandfather before that. So there's a long-held sort of uh, family business. Uh, quite happy to stay in it. It's been very, very good to us over a long period of time and. In many ways, it's the backbone. The sheep industry, the merino industry, is the backbone that's kept uh, our business going. And as we build our business over the last sort of twenty years, expanded, buying more country at Gunnera and, and Manila, for instance, it's still the backbone of what we do. Um, we can base a lot of our business decisions off that, and and our expansion off the merino industry. So uh, it's been a very good interest to us.
2: So you obviously, on a on a business level, on a on a family level, have confidence about uh, running merinos well. Into the future,
1: I think it's uh, from our family business point of view. It's important to have a range of enterprises, and uh, you know the good thing about the merino industry is that it does give you a range just within itself. So you've certainly got uh, wool at that end. You've got a lamb enterprise if you want it. You've got a mutton enterprise if you want it. You've got restock value if you want it. So there's you know there's multiple income streams coming out of merino business, and then we. You know, we put around that sort of bit of grain growing in the country of Gunnada and fat lambs and, and, uh, you know, breed and trade, um, a few cattle, a few cattle. So it just gives us a very good mix, a very good blend to be involved in. And certainly at the moment with livestock prices the way they are, it's, uh, it's great. And, uh, you know, the wool uh, industry, the MIC, where is it is at the moment, is showing real promise. So I think that's, uh, you know, that's a, uh, a, a, a very good position to be in at the moment.
2: So what's different about this current role you have compared to the NFF or the New South Wales Farmers Association?
1: Well, I think the first thing is uh, it's about understanding your industry and building strong relationships. Uh, it's very important in any of these things that, um, that you can listen to people, try and understand their problems, their issues and concerns and make sure as best you can that you're addressing those. I mean, we've got a short time frame here as the chairman role goes, it gets through to November uh, and then, you know, it's in the hands of the uh, wool growers, what they want to do from there on in. But in that period of time, we want to make sure that we are um, getting around, to talking to wool growers, understanding wool growers, understanding other sectors of the industry, which are critically important to the uh, wool growing component and, and trying to introduce some things that, identify the problems obviously and try and introduce some things. So there's not a lot of difference between this and the other roles. The other roles was very much about understanding policy and dealing with policy areas. So it's those personal relationships that you need to develop that um, give you a better understanding about people, about people's views, people's uh, concerns, and without that I think it's always very hard to, to really get the balance right in some of these things.
2: So, what are growers telling you? You've had uh, a bit of a chance to to get out and about, being in in regional New South Wales. It is in lockdown, like Sydney, and and obviously being a, a director in the past, you've been able to to get into state. What are what are the key things that people are saying to you?
1: Oh, look, there's a range. I mean, the wool industry's always, um, you know, there's always been very strong views in the industry, and there's been differing views in the industry, and and now nothing different. You know, there's still some very strong positions being held on. Breeding philosophy and where the industry should be going, and you know what we should be doing and shouldn't be doing. But, but somehow, what we've got to try and do is is bring that together as much as we possibly can, uh, understanding that everybody should have a voice, uh, everybody should be heard, and all their views should be taken seriously. So, my role is very much to try and do that, uh, and then across the board, you know, that is about uh, obviously uh, our major buying um country at the moment being China, there's, there's concerns around that. There's continued concerns around uh, or trying to get an understanding around the mulesing debate. Uh, obviously, clearly wanting to know and understand the marketing signals that are coming back from overseas in many areas. Um, really um, nervous, I suppose, to a certain extent about COVID and the impact that that's having on economies and when they'll open up and actually increase demand for product. Uh, and then obviously on the research side, you know, a hell of a lot of research and trying to get that balance right so that you're actually dealing with things that are important. So the fly issue, for instance, is a very important thing. Being able to invest in that, provide more alternatives for people, more, and more options for people when they're trying to manage flies on farm is absolutely critical. Uh, and, you know, all the research area around the MLP project to really look at long term breeding values in some of these sheep pulling all that data together that's been a very very well supported program so I think there's uh, it's about really understanding those issues and investing in those issues
2: so all those things uh, and there's a lot there and we can go into some of those in 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 greater detail but what you're saying is that your your listing and all those things that you just mentioned are what uh, AWI is prioritizing as well I
1: think they are. I mean, AWI. It's uh, it's very important that you understand the issues that are important. And, and the interesting thing is that I think the company has um, probably been investing in those things. They've identified those things through their through their structures and through through their processes, and they've been able to invest in those things. Um, obviously, the markets is critical. The China issue is critical. The current EU labelling situation is a real concern. Uh, and, you know, we're in a, we're in a um, environment at the moment where everybody is talking about sustainability, uh, looking after the environment, you know, understanding uh, where their food and fibre comes from, uh, really getting a, a good feel if they know they can buy something that relates right back to a farmer on-farm. And we're seeing quite a bit of that coming out of over, uh, over COVID, uh, where we're seeing, uh, you know, quite a bit more of that, where people are really starting to look for that. So in that environment... Uh, we find ourselves fighting against, you know, in some parliaments around the world, fighting against uh, environmental labelling, which would actually put wool behind uh, man-made fibres, which is absolutely extraordinary that we're in that position. But this just shows the political environment that we work in all the time. And and one of the reasons that we have to be continually vigilant about uh, what's happening around the world, Um, obviously what's happening in the EU is... Of vital importance to continue to work collaboratively with everybody. It's a bass of a word, with everybody to try and uh, to try and put together a very very strong argument about uh, how natural fibres are produced, where they're uh, where they're produced, um, and the environmental um, impact that they have compared to man-made fibres. Obviously, um, you know the whole carbon cycle debate and all these things is really critical to get that information out there. Because what you'll have is a flow-on effect through different countries. If, if it comes in in one country, generally you get a flow-on effect. So it's really important that we argue the case strongly. that any analysis done here is done fairly. Uh, and obviously, natural fibres would fare very well in that argument. And we've got to make sure that we properly position that. And so the EU you know, stuff is absolutely critical and we're involved in that. It's important that people were involved in investing in markets as we see opportunities. Wall queue and shifting it into sort of the commercial arena, I think is uh, something that's also been of great importance to people. And as I say, the uh, the flies and the shearing issue are absolutely critical. And COVID has exaggerated that problem and potentially coming into the spring, uh, maybe even more exaggerated simply because we might have trouble getting shears out of New Zealand to come back in and give us a hand through that thing. So, you know, I've only just been talking to CA recently about thoroughly analysing the... Um, the shearing industry in Australia and potentially in New Zealand understand, you know, when the pressure points are, where the shearers are, um, basically having a look to see whether there are other options as far as spreading out shearing times as an industry and being able to utilise the capacity we have there without having them in these periods of time when we're really squeezing the industry.
2: Yeah, there was a recent story out of New Zealand uh, indicating that not too many of them wanted to to come over and you, you can you can understand the fear of getting stuck if you have something like the situation uh, we've got in, in Greater Sydney at the moment, although obviously the regions are different. Um, but shearing really is a priority, um, extra money last year and then, um, you know, looking at ways of, of getting more of those novice shearers, uh, their skills higher so that, when they're in the shed they're actually shearing more sheep effectively
1: uh very important that uh first of all we get people involved and get them trained initially uh there's two or three components here i mean one is that we need to identify people get them in and get them trained and get them trained professionally uh to understand the industry and and right at the beginning get them going the second part is getting them out into a bit of work uh, but then re not retraining but then giving them support through the process. So you get into that second level where you can go from shearing a handful up to getting into some more competitive numbers where you can make a living. So being able to support them all the way through that original original few months is going to be absolutely vital. The second part from the industry or the third part from the industry point of view is that we need to actually put learner shearers back on. And there's been certainly been price squeezes over the year years where numbers have been important in many sheds. So so not a lot of shearers have had a start. So we now need to get learner shearers back into the shed so that we can build that capacity and numbers of number of shearers that are out there so we've got an important part to play to make sure that um, you know we can help ease that by providing opportunities for people to come into the shed albeit they might be a bit slow to start with but it's uh, it's very important to the industry that we can actually develop these people into the future
2: it's really thinking about the long term and a, and a long term where um, borders aren't going to be, Uh, as open as they were in the past. I mean, you know, if we were talking 18 months ago, we wouldn't have been speaking about uh, COVID or just been talking about COVID. And then even 12 months ago, people would have thought, oh, look, it'd be over by now. But it it certainly isn't.
1: Uh, Not at all. And I think there's no certainty in where this is going to end up. Uh, You know, two months ago, before the New South Wales outbreak, there would have been plenty of shears coming out of New Zealand because they would have felt safe to travel. Now that's not the case. And uh, so we're dealing in a different environment again, and we're just coming into the spring season, which is a very, very uh, important time for many, because many people are lambing off the board and uh, they need to get the sheep shorn. So timelines are really tight. Uh, and yes, I mean, we, the uncertainty both uh, nationally and internationally around COVID is a very good example of what can happen with anything at any time on an, on an international market. And I think we need to be, uh, wary that this is one thing, uh, who's to say that in two months' time it's not something completely different that throws a spanner in the works. So um, I think we need to make sure we're doing all we can to have sort of locally trained staff to be able to deal with that. Uh, and then obviously uh, the introduction of New Zealand shearers or overseas shearers coming in and giving us a hand uh, when they can would be a, a very good add-on.
2: Can I just return to uh, Flystrike and and the efforts to reduce um you know the horrible impact that it that it has on obviously the sheep and obviously on on people's businesses and livelihoods so recently we you've announced an extra $650,000 to try and develop a commercial vaccine um that really is good news now we don't want to overpromise um but you don't put money like that aside if you don't think that um it's uh it's going to potentially yield
1: and I think that's right. But I also know that in research, and everybody will tell you that in research, there are no surety of outcome. and
2: No uh, guarantees.
1: No, absolutely no guarantees. And so we're in a position where uh, this is a critical issue for the industry. Uh, there are multiple things going on there. There's, you know, people are changing their breeding, uh, looking at these things. We're talking about... Um, Using A's, B's, the things for breech wrinkle. Um, we're talking about fly vaccines. Uh, there's been plenty of work done on sort of alternatives for using. You've got pre and post pain relief, all sort of to manage, to management breech uh, strikes. So, this is another area that's looking promising. But um, and we'd be absolutely thrilled if it delivers an outcome for the industry because it'd be a tremendously powerful tool to help manage uh, flies in in uh, sheep. And you know, from uh, people who deal with this issue all the time, uh, every tool we've got in our, uh, in our closet to deal with, this is going to be critical. So, and I think in some cases, you know, there are investments you have to make because you really need to make them. You need to see whether there's an opportunity there. And this is one of the investments that we're really hoping will come off. Things are looking positive, but by the same token, uh, there are no guarantees, but we really need to be investing in this space uh, for the benefit of the uh, the broader merino industry and
2: sheep industry. And the, the great work's being done by the CSIRO at the University of Melbourne, and this has been a long-term project. It's, it's just sort of getting, getting some extra help um, while things are looking positive. Can I just turn to the way the market um, has bounced back? Um, Where, you know, take out your crystal ball or you may not, you know, want to refer to it, but are are you confident that, um, you know, the lows of last year are well behind us and, you know, we may be heading north again further, but at the very least, it's at a good, uh, a pretty good level at the moment.
1: Uh, I've been around the wool game long enough to know that there are plenty of ups and downs and there will be plenty of ups and downs in the future, so... Not silly enough to say, uh, you know, it's all raises from here on in. What I do know is that the response back in about spring last year, EMI back down, you know, often under 20 bucks down to 850 or something, is an indication of what uh, these, um, uh, you know, international things can have on markets. It creates um, uncertainty, and uncertainty obviously creates, you know, angst in the market, and you see a reaction, and that's exactly what we've seen. And then things start to settle down. And I think the, um, from, from right across all agricultural commodities pretty well, the response through COVID has been uh, surprising many. Uh, I think the the livestock industry, certainly, you know, the second component of the wool industry, the, the mutton and lamb and everything is looking, you know, particularly strong and, and at, right at the moment. We've got the wool industry has come off 850 back up to about the mid-1400s and is looking particularly strong. I think it has surprised people because the, Uh, People still need to eat, but they don't necessarily need to buy uh, new clothes, So, but the the market is strong. So what OWI has done in those circumstances is to, obviously through COVID, we sort of settled all our marketing campaigns down, pulled money, didn't invest where we didn't need to invest because there's no point investing if there's no demand. And then we were waiting to see where we thought the economies would start to open up, and obviously China was one of those economies, so we invested uh, about four or five months ago into China with a with a big program in there. And I think it's, um, you know, the, the strong demand that's coming for wool at the moment is coming out of China. So you'd like to think that those, those marketing programs have, have uh, had a benefit. And obviously now we're looking at many other areas internationally where the economies are starting to open. The vaccination programs have got high and we're starting to see movement again. Um, and we will look at investing uh, and are looking at investing back into those markets at the moment. So that's going to be absolutely critical, trying to pick that. What we want to do is make sure that wool is in the mind of people when they go back to buy clothes. Um So that's critical. We've got to replay this and get people sort of thinking about wool again, talking about all its attributes and uh, and getting them to want to look for it when they go into the marketplace uh, because, of, because of some of the campaigns. So that's going to be absolutely critical. And as I say, watching uh, internationally how these how these countries open up again economically, and how we're going to you know take best advantage of that, I think is is the really important part from here on in.
2: And the obvious ones there are uh, Britain, the US, uh, seeing uh, how happy many people in Britain, in particular, were that they could get out for the first time in ages, and and uh, similar in the US. So that's probably where it'll. First, start to to have an impact, and then Europe, and then looking elsewhere to you know um, possibly Japan um, and Korea. Although Japan's doing it tough at the moment.
1: Yeah, it is, and it's you know you're starting to see as they're opening up, you're starting to see people getting very excited and bounce back in some of these economies pretty quickly. And part of that is going to be in clothing. And as I say, we've got a position rule there so that it's in their mind when they actually go and, and uh, buy clothing or to buy clothing. Uh, and we're, what we're seeing in Australia is another good example of how you can pick a company and then all of a sudden the wheels fall off and uh, things will slow down again. So we've just got to be very mindful about what's going on. A lot of us to do with sort of activation rates in those countries at the moment, giving the community and the leaders confidence to, to open it up and get it going. The other big challenge for us, of course, and everything we're hearing at the moment is that the supermarkets, you know, really struggling at the moment because people aren't going to offices. There's not a lot of social functions. And so, you know, obviously the wool industry would like people getting back into the offices five days a week and really opening the social um, fabric of, of nations up again, and having uh, having people going out, wanting clothes to go out and, and socialise. So, you know, where where all of that settles down um, as COVID moves on will be interesting as far as the workplace goes, because there's a strong demand there for uh, for wool through there. So. You know, it's uh, it's going to be very challenging from a company to just to continue to monitor that. We rely very much on the information we're getting back from our overseas offices uh, and the uh, you know the experts in the field. And um, all we can do is continue to do that and then try and invest in areas where there's real potential.
2: Changing tack, you earlier mentioned um, mulesing. Uh, some growers have made the point. Why doesn't AWI take a position on the issue?
1: Because we don't need to. Uh, you know, the, the simple thing about mulesing is that an AWI is a marketing research and development company. And what we'll do is we will do all the research into it, as has been done. There's been an enormous amount of money spent on this very issue over the last 15 years. We'll do all the research into it. We will um, provide documentation, supporting documentation. Uh, there's been work done about shifting to non-mules flocks. There's been work done with freeze-branding and clips and you know, you've got your post and pre-anesthetic uh, uh, and analgesia. So there's been a huge amount of stuff done. What we want to do is provide growers with options. It's not up to um, myself as the AWI chair or Collette as the AWI chair to tell any growers what they should and shouldn't be growing. What we can do is provide you with the market information as it's coming back from overseas and we can uh, uh, clearly uh, do all the research that needs to be done. We provide you with all the tools and then you can make up your own mind. There's a lot of competition around breeding and how people want to breed sheep in the Merino game. Um, AWI does not need to be in the middle of that. We provide you with the tools and let you make up your own mind.
2: So people shouldn't draw any conclusions by the fact that that you don't mills anymore?
1: No, it's got nothing to do with it. I mean, that's a decision that I made 15 years ago and if they want to talk to me privately about the challenges it creates I'm quite happy to tell them but um, you know when I first started my agricultural career and I've been I do my own mulesing had been doing my own mulesing for 30 years uh, when I was away all week I didn't feel comfortable mulesing my sheep and leaving them at home without me being there you've got a very very strong responsibility to manage those sheep properly and I didn't feel comfortable with that so I ceased mulesing for a year or two and then um, I've been able to work my way through it and not go back to mulesing at this stage but it it has its challenges. So there's absolutely nothing on it. we will support people's right to make up their own mind. If they want a mule sheep that's entirely up to them and we support that. If they don't want a mule sheep that's entirely up to them and we support that decision. And what we will do obviously is the market will be sending the signals as to whether they're prepared to buy the wools or whether they're not. And currently at the moment you know the market's buying sort of all the wool that's out there so, there's uh, options, but at the same time, there are areas that want non-mules wool. You know, there are companies that want non-mules wool, and they're being provided non-mules wool by people who are actually producing that in Australia. So there, are uh, you know, there are all options there for wool growers uh, to meet those markets if they want it. And um, as I say, it is not our role to tell anyone what they should or shouldn't be doing on their farm.
2: Turning to Walpole, and uh, the board has has recommended. Uh, that growers support a 2% levy. Why did you come up with that?
1: I think the last 18 months is a very good example. I mean, we originally did our budgets. Um, we do your budgets pretty regularly. We argue about where the EMI should be sitting for uh, for a budgeted figure, and, uh, what wool production will be, where the EMI will be sitting, uh, and then try and do our budgets off that. And we try to make sure, I mean, sitting as directors, we've got Big responsibilities to make sure that we're abiding by all the pieces of legislation, keeping the company floating, and making sure we're investing on behalf of the industry. So that's the background, and then we've got to set our budgets. To do, uh, so you set your budget at fifteen hundred cents or whatever it is two years ago. It comes back down to eight fifty. Your production comes from about three twenty million kilos down to two seventy five. So you've got a reduction in budget, a reduction in production a reduction in the EMI, uh, and then on top of that, a reduction in the levy. And so you you know, you know, had a very, very uh, uh, 40, sort of 40 to 45% reduction in your um, income in the company. Now, that had uh, pretty major ramifications because we've had to you know, shed staff 30%. That was a gross decision, but the COVID over the top was the issue. But we've had to shed about 30, 30% 30 of staff. We've had a reduction in income, of say it was about 45%, and we've we've got to maintain the strength of the company. But uh, at the moment, we still have money there, but that's because we haven't invested in marketing programs because of COVID, and there's going to be some catch-up now where we've got to go. So we've gone back and recommended the 2% because I think the 2% gives us the buffer to be able to deal with some of these shocks in the market, Uh, um, You know, whether they be be production shocks, whether they be shocks coming from things like COVID, whether they be shocks coming from things like, like the EMI falling for some reason, it doesn't matter what it is. So the 2% gives us that. And what the board will need to do is to manage that money and manage that money well. Uh, as it is now, we've got a sort of a discretionary fund there, which was which was coming out of the $20 EMI era that allowed us to put some money aside to really target programs like this Flystrike program. Um, and so it'll be the board's responsibility to make sure they manage it. If, it, if it, uh, the EMI shoots up and production shoots up again We'll need to manage it, but at the same time, we've got to continue to build demand internationally. Um, And so, you need to have assets to do that, and you need to have the capacity in your organisation from a start point of view to do that. So, that's why the recommendation. I mean, in the end, it's up to growers what they want to invest in their in their industry, um, whether they see value in what AWI is doing or not. But you know, it shouldn't be any surprise there. I mean, AWI have supported 2% the last two or three things, it's a, it's a pretty stable sort of a recommendation and I think the last 18 months has given an indication as to why uh, we believe that's um, that's an important figure.
2: Something different this time around is the, the question or not, or whether growers would prefer a three or a five year cycle for Walpole. Um, does AWI have a view on that or is that just a, an open issue? Look,
1: I'm not sure that we've uh, from this discussion. Around, I'm not sure we've formed a view. I think the three-year cycle gets you into a three-year a three-year discussion. Uh, the five-year cycle will get you into a five-year discussion. So, benefits one way or another. I don't. Uh, I don't really know from a personal point of view. Then, you know, probably going to a five-year cycle gives you a little bit more stability. Um, from a company point of view, it probably allows you to focus for another two years on the things that you need to, rather than focusing on wool pole and, and dealing with all the, all the stuff around that. Uh, it just it's really important at the moment the company really focuses on, on selling wool, on marketing wool and selling wool. And, but at this time, we're dealing with going to, to an uh, AGM dealing with a, uh, a wool pole election. So that takes a lot of time away from, from uh, people who would otherwise be spent doing other things.
2: Spent a fair bit of time talking about merinos. Uh, what about more broad wool and what AWI is doing to help growers whose uh, whose who sheep have a, a, a thicker thicker micron? And clearly, the uh, the the price for the broad wool hasn't bounced uh, up as much as uh, the finer micron's did.
1: Uh, no, I no, think you're you're dead right, and I think this is pretty typical of. Um... Of well, what we see in the wool market, you know, it wasn't all that long ago that the super fine end of the clip was pretty poor compared to the medium wools um, and, and broad wools have been selling fairly well. So we do see this, a um, lot of it based on demand. I mean, what we have to do is uh, continue to try and find uses for all wool. So through the research project, Off Farm um, is continuing to try and develop things that, that can be of importance to all sectors of the wool industry. And that's from nearest the skin stuff right out to carpets to house of homeware to shoes to to absolutely every single purpose we can find to put wool into. So, if we can continue to spread it across multiple areas, then that'll pick up all the ranges of wool that we grow. Uh, And unfortunately, there's a cyclical nature to sort of the microns. If you have a look at it, there'll be that cyclical nature there. Uh, And we're seeing that again now. Now, the, the broad wools are at the pretty tough spot at the moment there's actually no doubt about that. Um, but we really need you know countries like India and some of these other countries to get up and get going again and we need expenditure in some of those things that people aren't spending money on at the moment to be able to get a bit of pull through and some of that broader in but our view is um, continue to develop every possible thing we can for uh, wool to be used of all microns uh, continue to market wool uh, on a broad basis and, uh, and hopefully that, uh, that'll that just uh, continue to build man for demand for the product.
0: Jock Laurie, thank you very much for your time. Good on you Kevin. Brand new Australian Wool Innovation Chairman Jock Laurie speaking there with Kevin Wild. So for further ideas and feedback about this podcast, please email the yarn at wool.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please leave reviews on Spotify or iTunes, and that helps others to find us. And as always from me, Maria's coming. Thanks for having a yarn with us.